Good evening, and welcome to the Trail Stewards Radio Hour. We have a very different show for you tonight, mostly leaving politics and science behind. Our theme is the ecosystem of the soul. Ramblings, readings, spiritual musings, and philosophy. Poetry, delving into the fraught coexistence of humans and the natural world. You will hear from forest activists and our family and friends. We hope you will be inspired to climb up into a tree or sit by the waves and write, drum, journal, and sing. Enjoy this winter solstice love and look forward to the days getting longer again. I'm Chad Swimmer, coming at you from the unceded land, now known as Casper, California. And hopefully this show will bring some healing to all of us. I'm going to start off with a little piece of a legend from the Haida people who have lived for thousands of years on the Pacific coast of what we now know as Canada. This is passed on to me from the Uruguayan writer Eduardo Galeano, Memory of Fire, Genesis. The Crow which now dominates the totem of the Haida nation, was the grandson of that great divine chief who made the world. When the crow wept, asking for the moon, which hung from the wall of tree trunks, his grandfather gave it to him. The crow threw it into the sky, through the chimney opening, and started crying again, wishing for the stars. When he got them, he spread them around the moon. Then he wept and hopped about and screamed until his grandfather gave him the carved wooden box in which he kept daylight. That great divine chief forbade him to take the box out of the house. He had decided that the world should live in the dark. The crow played with the box, pretending to be satisfied. But out of the corner of his eye, he watched the guards who were watching him. When they weren't looking, he fled with the box in his claw. The point of the claw split, passing through the chimney, and his feathers were burned and stayed black from then on. The crow arrived at some islands off the northern coast. He heard human voices and asked for food. They wouldn't give him any. He threatened to break the wooden box. I've got daylight in here, he warned, and if it escapes, the sky will never put out its light. No one will be able to sleep, nor to keep secrets, and everybody will know who is people and who is bird and who is beast of the forest. They laughed. The crow broke up in the box, and light burst forth into the universe. In 1948, my parents 
with my brother and sister and me, moved to the San Fernando Valley. We had a tract home, and next door was a cornfield. The skies were clear, and we would sleep outside on the patio in the summers. The stars were like when you go into the middle of the desert. They were bright and sparkly, and I would lie on my sleeping bag, looking up at the stars and counting the steps, or what I thought I was doing was counting the steps to the stars. The air was clean and crisp and clear. I don't remember when, but when I was older, maybe in junior high, early junior high, the sunset started changing and becoming these incredible reds and purples and also beautiful. I didn't realize, because we didn't know, that the air was becoming polluted with smog. And the sunsets at times were so beautiful that it was just breathtaking. I'm just a poor, wayfaring and stranger Passing through this land of war There's no sickness, toil or danger Gene Parsons on banjo at the Camp One Amphitheater at the Woodlands. Before that, the first time on this show, my mom, Emily Levy. Let's slow down a little bit more and go to a fern-covered knoll in the Redwood Forest next to Hare Creek and listen to the wisdom of the activist named Quirk. So this elder I had been talking to who had been, he worked at the Georgia Pacific Mill for a long time. You know, we talk about this and that. And at some point he decided he wanted to tell me the story. And it was the story of St. Boniface. Now Boniface, he was sent to, to missionize the Germanic tribes. Um, and the story is about a place he comes to where they're worshiping this giant oak tree. And he wants to prove to them that his God is stronger. And so he cuts the oak tree down. Obviously, these stories are metaphors, and you probably cut down a lot more than those oak trees. And the traditions we come from, they made him a saint, right? And that attack on that way of being and knowing has gone back so far, right? To places, you know, in our culture that the word, call that the villain, you know? It just means it comes from the word for villager of the earth. To be a heretic was to know the love of God was inside you and not through a minister of the church. And those people were burnt at the stake for the audacity to say that. Yeah. Sometimes it's hard for me to separate the echoes of that with the pain here. That it all feels like a a repeating pattern. You know? But maybe now we can stop it that we can grieve it all and move forward from a different place together. The other thing I think about is it's been probably more than 2,000 years for some of these lineages, but 
but it's still here. That love is still in my heart. I still feel the trees. I, I still feel myself as part of the forest. And that, yeah, that, that, that knowing that who we are has survived all of this. And if they haven't been able to destroy it yet, they won't. But it does seem sometimes there's a rush to pick up and start a new direction. And maybe that we still need to sit and we need to grieve first so that we can move from a... It's a hard thing for me to talk about. I grew up in a culture or I was... Um, I spent a lot of time in the mental health system being diagnosed and um, taught to examine myself. And um, anyway, I instilled a lot of fear about what schizophrenia means and what it means to, to say you hear the trees talking. <laughs> um, so it's kind of hard for me to talk about sometimes. But I, there are parts of my body that remember being burnt at the stake. I remember being buried alive. That, that's the one I remember the most. Of that, that constriction of, of being put deep into the place I loved so much, but in a way that I couldn't move. And that, whether literal or metaphor, I think a lot of us know what that constriction feels like. To feel trapped and to, to have to accept that it can break a person. And, and how to come back from that has been really hard. How to know that it's okay to stand up and speak for the trees again. I mean, it isn't even to see everywhere a constant reminder of what they did to the peoples and the, all the beings that were in these forests. To know that it, at some point it ends. <laughs> that, you know, that at some point we have to be able to stand up. Even with Judy Berry, how long ago was that? The government put a bomb in her car, right? Like, <laughs> it's not even 20 years ago. But you know, I keep being told the times have shifted. And I want to believe it. I have to. Because what else do we do? Can't hide forever. <laughs> I think anyone can hear them if you sit. But not with your ears, right? It's It's being open to a different way of of being and listening and I think there's there's a big difference being indigenous to a specific place and being which is a huge web of, of contextualized experience and knowledge and I think that's really important to remember but I think a lot of us have forgotten that we are indigenous to this planet and to earth and that there are some universal things that that kind of what that means to to know that you are part of this vast conscious living ecosystem and that we are, for a size comparison, I guess, for people who like those kind of things, you and me versus the Earth is about the size of a single letter of DNA inside of us. Right? And so that's some context for, for the power we have. And as anyone who's, you know, knows much about genetics knows, it doesn't take many changes to have a huge impact. Um, and... I guess that's why I mean, I'm so passionate about finding the balance of what it means to tend well with where we are now, what our relationship to the forest is, has been the healing that needs to happen. Um, but to remember that we can be a part of it and we can heal with the forests. And maybe the, the real truth is the forests can and want to help us heal. But it's all kind of a collective process that we and the earth are all going through because we're all the same thing.
And now, with gleams of half-extinguished thought, with many recognitions dim and faint and somewhat of a sad perplexity, the picture of the mind revives again. While here I stand, not only with the sense of present pleasure, but with pleasing thoughts that in this moment there is life and food for future years. And so, I dare to hope they've changed, no doubt, from what I was when first I came among these hills, when like a row I bounded o'er the mountains by the sides of the deep rivers and the lonely streams wherever nature led, more like a man flying from something that he dreads than one who sought the thing he loved. For nature then, the coarser pleasures of my boyish days and their glad animal movements all gone by, to me was all in all. I cannot paint what then I was. The sounding cataract haunted me like a passion. The tall rock, the mountain, and the deep and gloomy wood, their colors and their forms were then to me an appetite, a feeling and a love that had no need of a remoter charm by thought supplied or any interest and borrowed from the eye. That time is past, and all its aching joys are now no more, and all its dizzy raptures. Not for this faint eye, nor mourn, nor murmur, other gifts have followed. For such loss, I would believe, abundant recompense. For I have learned to look on nature not as in the hour of thoughtless youth, but hearing oftentimes the still, sad music of humanity, nor harsh, nor grating, though of ample power to chasten and subdue. And I have felt a presence that disturbs me with the joy of elevated thoughts, a sense sublime of something far more deeply interfused, whose dwelling is the light of setting suns and the round ocean and the living air and the blue sky and in the mind of man, a motion and a spirit that impels all thinking things, all objects of all thought and rolls through all things. Therefore, am I still a lover of the meadows and the woods and mountains, and of all that we behold from this green earth, of all the mighty world of eye and ear, both what they have create and what perceive, well pleased to recognize in nature and the language of the sense, the anchor of my purest thoughts, the nurse the guide, the guardian of my heart and soul of all my moral being. You are listening to the Trail Stewards Radio Hour. This is the Ecosystem of the Soul. And we just heard George Russell on 12-string guitar and reading Wordsworth.
Water currents run through the world, vigorous, impetuous, slender flowing torrents striking themselves, wetting themselves and glistening. Water currents run throughout the world and seek, run with sun, with moon, with darkness and shout. Mountains above, valleys below, water currents pearl around the eddy within, round about and round in streaming rows, crookedly upward and straight downward. A pursuit of rustling, an unrestrained joy, unsurpassed hymning, ceaseless, ever in accord, unwearying, scintillating laughter, translucent flux, everlasting festival. Water currents run through the world and roar. They leap and splash themselves with dew seethe and choke with cheerful snow, well up and beam with silver clouds. A squirt and a spout and a snap, a snap and a leap and a bubble, a bubble and a song and a whisper, a whisper and a song and a dash, a dash and a fall and a skip, a skip and a fall headlong, a leap, and then lost in the flow. A stone. Water overruns the stone, braiding pigtails over it. Trees, water courses by the trees and bids them a loud farewell. Water rushes to the meadow and kisses her banks, hugs it and trembles from sheer joy, makes promises and runs away, runs and never wearies, tells a tale and conceals the end. To rest, there is no place to rest. To remain, there is nothing to remain for. Everywhere is here. Every here is there. And every there means onward. Paul Schulman, reading a poem written before 1924 by A. Lutsky in Yiddish. Originally entitled Fasaden, Water Currents. The, one of the first times I really felt connected to nature was when I would play outside with my siblings in the backyard and we would just look at all the little plants, the flowers, the insects, and we really liked c catching the roly-polies <laughs> and playing with them or little bugs and insects. I used to catch little frogs with when it rained 
and we would try to catch all the little grasshoppers. So just exploring and being curious about the little creatures that you see. Yeah, one of one of my early memories of feeling connected with nature was being a kid and my parents would take us camping and I remember running around in these sand dunes. I can't remember if it was north of the bay or south of the bay, but we went to both, luckily for me. And these sand dunes, you could, they had those beach grasses growing in them and there was some little spots you could like crawl in and it was like a little hiding place and you're just like, felt like I was in the dune, you know, and just feeling really uh, comfortable in there. And like this dune was protecting me from the wind. And radio check, radio check. <laughs> And it was, yeah, it was beautiful in there. <laughs> yeah, hi there. Can you hear me? Hmm. I guess I'm always right here where I am. It's <laughs> um, my first thought. And I feel so blessed to live in the woods. You know, I grew up in urban area and I just feel really blessed to be able to take walks in the woods any day that I, you know, that I have some free time. And when I'm in the woods, I feel like I'm part of the natural world for sure. And then that's, that's where I feel very happy to be. I feel like I am not separate from nature. So even when I go outside in the city and take a walk, or if I go into a forest or a natural space, I am always reminded that I am a part of nature. And I feel really connected to the plants and the animals around me as well. I like to notice the birds or there's, and then their sounds. on a walk in the woods above the Noyo River with activists and advocates, Esme Placencia and Andy Wellspring. Give me back my old mother, the kind one, the strong one, the one with the glowing face. Don't give me the image of her. Don't make me fight for the trees while guarding her life. Reason with me, please. Tears fall. Give me back my old mother, the kind one, the strong one, the one with the glowing face. I know I will not get my old mother until you reason with the world and stop cutting down the trees everywhere. Till now, she's just a memory. Mm, till now, she's just a memory. Activist and forest defender, Zia Catalini, reading from a poem by then fifth grader, Alia Catalini. One. They're all going to come back as wood rats. They're all grabbing for this green of this life. Why not in the next and next and next? They're all going to come back as wood rats and endangered species. They're all going to come back. Two. 
Gaia, Lady of the Moon and Sun, Gaia, Lady of the Deer and Bear, Gaia, Lady of the Redwood Trees, protect your children who protect the woods, protect your children who protect these woods. Zia Catalini, reading Mary Norbert Corte, Incantations While Sharpening a Chainsaw, to be recited on alternate days. Let's go to Diane Patterson, Turn Toward the Sun. Footprints of ancestors falling all around. Turn toward the sun, remember who you are. Turn toward the sun, remember who you are. story here be told when the buffalo came to save us all from Dapple. And the vision had been seen by the protector Geraldine. Ancestors would bring the old ones back. Great talk has gone so long that genocide is still a song of sorrow on the Access pipeline Standing Rock Dakota Reservation. Tribes came in from all around and peacefully stood their ground. The Dapple's war machine could not cut them down. The corporate government chose not to help, but thousands came and risked themselves to save the water. rose and some told when winter fell on young and old the confluence of waters there and not been spared the white buffalo calf woman heard the prayer and in the vision she looked over where the people stood by day to protect the water there was there the bison came one small herd running to stop the pipeline but later in the winter let it be known and remembered buffalo broke the fence and ran to Ochetti camp they were 30 40 strong that day the buffalo took the heat they say
Diane Patterson, Turn Toward the Sun, off her recent release, Satchel of Songs. You are listening to the Trail Stewards Radio Hour with a special solstice edition, Ecosystem of the Soul, exploring humans' relationship with nature. Since you are listening to this, we know that you are a devotee of public radio. We also know that there is more competition than ever in history for your limited time. With all of the powerhouse stations in New York, Chicago, and L.A. putting out well-funded new podcasts every day, it is literally impossible to listen to even 1% of the shows about the subjects that you love and care about. Considering this, we ask you to set aside some time for us, locally produced radio, with guests you may know, may even share coffee with in the morning, talking about issues and places that are a part of your everyday life. Think global. Listen local. At least some of the time. We appreciate it for sure. And speaking of neighbors who you may have coffee with in the morning, that was the Miller Family Band. For the record, I continue to investigate this lifelong obsession. Forest. Forests. But, in particular, this forest outside my back door. This sister city to the foggy, mossy, disorderly ecosystem of my mind. Jackson, I must use the name. Not because I like it or approve of it, but because we haven't agreed on a better name. English, I must use the language, not because I necessarily like it, agree with it, or even find it satisfactory for expressing the reality I perceive, but because I was born with it 
in an ex-colony and raised colonized. My thought patterns were shaped by civilizations that looked to the sky for divinity, that learned the word dominion as their birthright. I, like so many, was deeded an obligation to conquer and manage the natural world. I am heir to empires, slave to paradigms, that continue to marginalize, destroy, or assimilate the planet and all of us of any race who feel the divine in the soil beneath our feet, who hear voices and songs in the winds that caress our skin. Obsession. I have seen people overtaken and possessed by forests before. I myself am in the thrall of Jackson, going on 28 years now. The mycelium has entered and nourished me. Spiders have walked upon my skin, while ticks have feasted upon my blood. Raven overseers have spoken, and I have listened, rapt, wishing I could understand but one word. I have traveled more miles here than anywhere else in my life. Know the paths like the deepening lines on my face, but still I get lost in the fog. Still, I circle back upon myself like Pooh and Piglet in the hundred-acre wood, over cypress, manzanita, and pine-covered terraces, in deep redwood ravines, straying, straying, as my prints are joined by other prints, and I become part of an invisible throng. Yes, I am not alone. Jackson, that name again. I am sure Jacob Green Jackson, the rapacious, the 19th century timber baron, was obsessed as well. But my present obsession is surely distinct from his. I can only imagine that sums and saws and ledgers and logs filled his nights, while I would gladly and unceremoniously ditch his name in some ravine, perhaps drown it in Casper Creek, let it float out to be lost at sea with the SS Frolic and other shipwrecks. Other, others, folks who I look upon more kindly, people whose names shall remain vague, have walked or ridden with me in the past and now risked their lives for a place they barely knew of just a few dozen months ago. Still others fought and fought years back, took a break for a decade and now fight again, only a couple strides missed in the interim. What is it, I ask at 3.35 a.m., that keeps so many of us entangled? Wealth? There are many kinds of wealth here, but the kind that brings financial gain can only strip mine the soul. Other treasures are more keen, the fecund, and brisk air after a storm like gold. The spirits of the grand ancient trees, the ghosts of the slaughtered. Could it be they that keep diverting my dreams? Those wake robin, also my elders, those turtles in the hidden ponds. On occasions I even secretly suspect the usnia that dangles in various shades of gray-green from old branches, streaming in the breeze before being rent asunder and woven into birds' nests. There is an ecosystem of the imagination here, its bounds not mapped, its depths not plumbed. There is a forest inside of my skull, in some queer manner, a mirror of the neural map of mycorrhizae weaving through the loam. Even deeper beneath this web lurk secret wetlands, known only to burrowing creatures, giant salamanders, and to the rare person 
who has noticed certain perpetually thirsty plants demarcating seeps that silently nourish those amphibians, worms, and bacteria. The roots that dance with fungal threads, sipping cool spring water and sharing life's syrup all the while. To call this a redwood forest is of a fashion to blind oneself, to man-itch it for anything at all, is to neglect to notice that it actually would be much better at foresting us. Jackson, that damn name again. Jackson Demonstration State Forest. We might as well call it a sword fern forest, a western gray squirrel forest, a plain air concert hall for the minute but grandiose winter wren, a subterranean playground for the Pacific giant salamander, a Valhalla for chipmunks and chicories. This is a place that defies both science and the English language, but at the same time partly defines the word that is me. The we, however, the nearly blind, mostly monolingual beings presently responsible for either this forest's salvation or its destruction, its desiccation or its deification. We must make do with what empirical observations and vocabulary we have been afforded. We must listen, slow down, stop yearning so darn much for a happy ending or a package that when unwrapped will yield comprehensibly tasty contents. The future to us is unwritten. This forest should have remained ancient in the first place. Where we allow time to take us is dependent on a narrative chanted in an obscure tongue. I cannot and do not expect the loose ends to be tied up into an ornate bow. I fiercely want to save it, to see it saved, but to be honest, I am not sure what saving it would actually mean. Instead, I venture out in my uncertainty beneath the boughs, past midnight, past December. There is nothing in the dark that can hurt me more than we have hurt it. Sometimes I walk miles before dawn. I am not alone, nor am I misplaced beneath the stars of this magnificent morass, this ecosystem of our collective mind. I pass skunks, their white lines weaving in the blackness, past deer nibbling, bobcats stalking, bears grunting, browsing, and lumbering. I am certain I pass an occasional mountain lion. Who, really, I sometimes bother to ask, are the monsters here? Who really could be my friend and why? Written and recorded December 2021, next to Casper Creek. I grew up in the redwoods of Mendocino County. My backyard was about 200 acres of second growth redwood forest. And that offered a really unique education about our forests here and the natural world in general. I was able to run around and explore things, experience the forest for myself. Um, what you could see in here, if you just stood quietly, the mushrooms that were all around. I found my way through all sorts of little mix-ups and troubles uh, by learning the way that the forest works and how it's all connected. 
and being able to explore that without any structure whenever I wanted, go on walks down the hill, over to the river, allowed me to become closer with the natural world and specifically these very special redwood forests in a way that you really can't do when you're just going on a hike or on a field trip for school. I spent hours just sitting in the woods picking sorrel and eating it or watching the little needles fall from the redwood trees, um, tromping around in the streams. And I found new paths and adventures every time. And I would bring people along and show them that if you, you know, followed the stream up this way, you could find the hill that connected back up to where the backside of the garden was or this or that. We went on mushroom walks and found all sorts of amazing plants and foods within the forest that were hidden. And I think that that ability to connect with these redwood forests and the uniqueness of our county really inspired me to take action in protecting these forests. I spent time running around back there too. So seeing um, it be destroyed in this way was very emotional, you know, it's like a friend that you've known your whole life and all of a sudden something terrible is happening. Um, so I think that growing up here and being able to have that unique perspective of spending my whole life with these forests was really, really inspiring when it came time to um, stand up for them. And I think I found a lot of the strength and perseverance to keep going through many <laughs> kind of arduous days and months um, in the fact that I knew I knew these forests, you know, they were, they were beings um, and they were ecosystems that I had spent so much time around and I knew what they had to offer, what little secrets you could find if you looked carefully, what amazing interconnectedness was there and how the forest communicated with you and itself and just knowing sort of the magic that that's hidden in there really helps when you feel defeated by you know a day where they logged a lot or a conference that some cal fire officials said there was n nothing that you could ever do to stop them when you think of that magic and that home and that feeling of like connectedness that you can get when you're really in a forest, you remember what it's all for and that no matter um, how many losses there are or how many times people tell you that no amount of work is ever going to change it, that's what keeps you going. Climate and forest activist and high school student Sarah Constance Rose God, secure me from security, now and forever. Amen. Who's afraid of the universe? It's midnight in the desert, or the coast, or high above the timberline. The Milky Way is close, and the stars are singing. I am not small. I fill the spear. I tremble before the cosmos, no more than a fish trembles before the tides. Paul Schulman, reading from Jerry and Rennie Russell's On the Loose.
We leave part of ourselves. We take sand in our cuffs, rocks, shells, moss, acorns, driftwood, cones, pebbles, flowers, photographs. But is the picture a tenth of the thing? A hundredth? Is it anything without the smell and salt breeze and the yellow warmth when the fog lifts? Oh, but I got all that too. It is exposed forever on the sensitive emulsion sheet of my mind. <laughs> yeah. This is the Trail Stewards Radio Hour, coming at you originally from KZYX and Z. We are delving into the ecosystem of the soul. Musings, poems, writings, ramblings from activists and our families about the relationship of us with nature. Coming at you now, some journal entries from Alicia Bales, a.k.a. Alicia Littletree, from her tree sit 30 years ago when she was 18 years old. May 4th. 1992. The falling of small trees crashes like the closing of some giant door through the forest. And here I sit, above it all, watching and listening, as thugs pace back and forth below, surveilling me, and all the time chainsaws, and the shut of the doors to our future. This logging is making our lives miserable, hot, hungry, detached, for the sake of a few bucks, and some phony logger earth first war. Where do priorities fit in? When can we lay down our egos and our false pride to save our wondrous home? And they pick the most magic of all places to destroy. The sun is burning its way through the clouds. Gray on white has faded into blue haze as the trees grow vibrant and the meadow sings. And on May 12th, in the morning, I'm sitting here, little tree, 65 feet or so high, quietly enjoying the dawn, as abstract but very powerful gears are cranking somewhere between phone lines and headlines that allow Harry Merlot to keep on cutting. I feel reassured by the whisper of my action, by the passivity of my sit. We can't fight them with force like theirs, we'll lose. But this quietness, gentleness, goes so against their destructive, cranking, noisy machinery, like night and day, me and him. So, bless the dawn. This year, for the first time in a long time, I went back to the Enchanted Meadow to visit my tree. And I wrote about that experience too. This is from Labor Day this year, September 5th. I was thinking I would go hiking in Van Dam from the Pygmy Forest parking lot. But when I got there, I wondered if I couldn't just hike down the other direction and visit the Enchanted Meadow. Mostly 30 years ago, I had dropped into the meadow from Table Mountain on the other side of the estuary. I'm not sure I ever hiked in along the Central Hall Road 
I was afraid sometimes during the walk, both that some weird guy would be there since I was on my own and that I would bump into a bear or cougar. It was pretty dense young forest along that way, with some medium-sized second and third growth and a hint of forest air in the draws. I made it to the river in less than an hour, and when I saw the water and the train trestle, I instantly stopped being afraid. There was a sign for Zia's reserve on a roadside redwood and some ripe blackberries just beyond. All felt friendly and familiar. It took me some time to find my tree, however. Thirty years is a very long time for a human. I knew the vicinity, but my memory only provided clues. Finally, I recognized the sister tan oak at the base of my tree. Although half dead, it was still green in parts and unmistakable. I scrambled up and there she is, two stumps now, plus a fully regrown tree almost as big as the one I sat in. I felt instantly at home and at peace, deeply calm and bonded. The mosquitoes were out in clouds, so I couldn't stay where I was perched on one of her stumps, had to tumble back down to the road and keep moving. I left a feather in the other stump, declared my love and loyalty and gratitude profusely, then broke into loud, sniffly sobs as I stood back down on the road, gazing around at the meadow, the trees across the river where the trail to Table Mountain is, the river, the expanse I had to cross to get out of there when I came down all those years ago, the awesome, regenerative, badass power of that tree. No wonder that place sparked the humans into revolt. Nothing's going to hold her back. Also, I cried with grief for the state of our planet and the precipice we are on. Forest and humans, it's all about to collapse. I commiserated, grieved too. No. My salvation is not that I was born into the senility of my race. Its beautiful childhood may be gone, but its adulthood, its maturity, could be now. Evolution is aware of itself. At the last hour of the planting season, the seeds of a universal sanity could be sown. We can look at a redwood and not see bored feet. We can look at a river and not see kilowatt hours. We could look at a lake and not see an aqueduct. We could look at a marsh and not see more rotting surplus wheat. We could look at a gorge and not see a dam site. We could look at a meadow and not see real estate. We could look at an egret and not see an absurd feathery hat. The weeds, they will win in the end, of course. Is time on our side? This knowledge is called wisdom. And here we have, 30 years later, 15 air miles away, a different 18-year-old in a different redwood tree. When you spend nine days up in a 65-foot redwood, you begin to feel as if the tree is smelling you, feeling you, watching you. There is nothing more soul-nourishing than the feeling of taking a deep breath with your body in contact with the tree that you are so desperately trying to save. At first, I found the swaying slightly nerve-wracking, but I quickly became comforted by the movements of Mama Tree, almost as if she was rocking me to sleep 
like the mama that she is. The words of Greasy Pete, the first person to sleep night after night high in the branches of mama tree. When I first started exploring the Jackson Demonstration State Forest, I could feel the spirit of my Pomo people. As we started to protect the forest from logging for revenue, I started to reconnect and starting to fall in love with two particular trees we call mama tree and gemini tree and i swore to myself that i must protect that i must protect that i must protect that i must protect
That was Coyote Valley Band of Pomo Indians, Tribal Chairman Michael Hunter, first telling of the beginning of his forest activism, and then drumming and chanting at the Pomo Land Back Rally in Sacramento on September 28, 2022. I would like to thank my guests, Michael Hunter, Greasy Pete, Alicia Littletree, Paul Schulman, George Russell, Zia Catalini, Sarah Constance Rose, Quirk, my mom, of course, Esme Placencia, Andy Wellspring, finally got you on the show, my neighbors, the Ravens and the Frogs, Mitchell Creek, Hare Creek, Mama Tree, and all the other trees and plants that have held us in their arms. Of course, Diane Patterson, the Miller Family Band, Gene Parsons, and George Russell for great music. I also don't want to forget to thank other Pomo musicians and singers and their allies at the September 28th rally at the California Department of Natural Resources in Sacramento. And you for spending the last hour with me, Chad Swimmer, on this, the final episode of the Trail Stewards Radio Hour. My midnight show, Disquiet on the Western Front, will be moving into this time slot, the third Tuesday of the month at 7 p.m. You can also catch me on the first Friday of the month at 7 p.m. for Pride Nation 101. If you have comments or anything you'd like to share with me about this show or any of my other shows, you can contact me at cswimmr at gmail.com. You can also listen to archived episodes at www.kzyx.org or www.disquietmedia.blue. And of course, the views and opinions expressed are only those of myself and my guests and the Ravens and the Frogs and Mitchell Creek and Hare Creek, and not those of any station that might play this show. And one last word from my mom. Chad was always immersed in nature. We lived near the beach, and he loved playing in the sand. Until one day, I turned around and find him. His face was covered with sand, kind of in the shape of the beard and mustache and goatee that he now has. He was eating the sand 